Well, good morning, Harvest. How are you guys doing? Hey, do me a favor, quick show of hands. Wow, is the balcony bright? I can't even see you people. Um, quick show of hands. How many have been coming to our church just for three years or less? Just raise your hand. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. There's a bunch of you guys here. So, so you don't know who our speaker is um, today. I want to introduce him. He was on our staff. We hired him eight or nine years ago. And at that time, our church had no young adult or 20s ministry. So we're like, hey, Eric, go get a bunch of college-age kids and young adults in a town that really doesn't have any colleges. Very, very hard task. And... Uh, he built it from scratch, brought it up to about 150 people, was such a blessing on our staff. And then he left us and planted a church in Fremont. And we're like, you understand, like, your expectations for Fremont. It's not that big a place. And he runs about 12, 1,300 people a weekend up in Fremont. He is a phenomenal communicator. He is, um, a, he's the guy that I call, like, you know, phone a friend. If I'm struggling as a pastor, Eric's on my speed dial as a guy that I count on to help, a valued friend. He's been faithful to the word, and you guys are going to enjoy him this morning. Let's give a big welcome for Eric Klingel. So uh, if you're glad you came to church today, would you say amen? Amen. What a great, great worship service. I cannot believe your sound system. Can I tell you I'm a little jealous? I'm pastor jealous. You guys have a great sound system. It's so nice. So uh, Cal and I are swapping pulpits today. We met a few months ago, and we're like, hey, let's, um, let's swap pulpits. So he's preaching for me right now, and just a few minutes ago, he was given this sweet gift basket from our church full of homemade items only. And so these are like small businesses and barns that are making products, and there's honey in there and hot sauce and CBD rub and some illegal things. <laughs> and fortunately, he's in Michigan. I think if he was to cross state lines, that would be a felony. I'm not sure, but if he comes back um, uh, with some good products for you, you may or may not want to take them. So we're, we're thankful to swap with Kelvin today. We, um, we just want to I just want to start by saying, like, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. This church has got behind um, my family. This church sent 50 adults out and said, hey, go to a small town, preach the gospel, just be faithful. You guys paid for my salary. My wife was very thankful for that, by the way, for a whole year while we planted a church. And this church has been just really, really generous to us. People are getting saved and baptized they're still, I'm doing CBD, but there's no TC in it anymore. They're safe. They know Jesus. And so there's <laughs> life change, life change. And so we just want to thank you for investing in the work up there. I think you would say this. Many of you have gone to visit one Sunday, and many of our people have gone to visit here. It's like home when I go to church. Why? Because we preach from the same book. Amen? It's the same book. We worship the same Jesus. It's really clear. We have the same DNA in our blood, and we're just so, so thankful for you. My kids and I walked around the building last night, and they just have fond memories of their time in Spring Lake. And so I want to say thank you. And then those of you that just raised your hand a minute ago, um, some of you are newer to the church, like as in the last year. A couple of weeks back, I'm sorry, on Monday, about six churches gathered in Indiana, and we were just praying about church planning and future work, and Dave and Cal and I and four other ministries, and we sat around and we all said the same thing. It just feels like a hundred people landed in our church. It just feels like the Lord is bringing the lost to hear the good news of the gospel. I think in this season, there's people with just like common sense that are like, the world does not have what I long for. 
And so even if they don't know Jesus yet, they're searching. And so this is a church that's been a landing pad, and the Lord is adding to the church. He's just sending people to you. And so if you're newer to this church, if you're saved or not, can I tell you, you're in a good church. You're in a good church. If I wasn't a pastor in Fremont, I would be here. This is the place. This is a place where God moves. I, I, over on this side, I sat before I was on staff, and I'm like, I think I'm a Pharisee. Cal or Dave, we're preaching on Pharisees. And I'm like, I think I'm a Pharisee. Right in the balcony, right there, I raised my hand to the Lord for the first time in worship. I surrendered something that I was holding on to. I remember a young man right here giving his life to Christ, right here. I think a woman had a demon cast out of her, right here. I've been here. And I've seen some powerful things happening in this room. There are lame churches. There are woke churches. There are good churches. You're in a good church. You're in a really good one. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. There's a lot of churches closing around the country today. And there's a lot of churches that are simply preaching the Bible and trying to help people. And you're in that kind of a place. So if you're church shopping, stop shopping. Get plugged in. This is a place where you can grow. I've talked a lot. You guys ready for the Bible? Oh, wait, i got to show some pictures. First of all, this picture right here. My wife's like, you better show the family, so I'm showing the family. <laughs> okay, this is, this is me and my kids five years ago loading a trailer of supplies to go plant a church. Now, this is a year ago, so this is four years later. Look at the kids in this picture here. It's called Venison Fed. <laughs> they only eat venison. I promise. I'm not even joking. And... They're even bigger now. The one on my left uh, in that picture is Gibson. He's almost my height. He's 12 years old. All right, Acts 13, are you there? <laughs> Some of you wives are like, my husband should stop hunting. No, it's really good for you. It's great for you. Acts 13, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll get one to you so you can follow along. Acts 13. I talked to Brian Schmutz about a week ago, and I said, hey, there's two or three passages I'm interested in preaching. Could you give me some advice? And he talked about some of the things happening within your church, the needs within some of the ministries here. And he's like, well, you've got to preach Acts 13. And so Acts 13 is where we're going to go today. I think I took a left-hand turn, and I do believe this is a passage that your church needs. I believe it's a passage my church needs. I may preach this Sunday at, <laughs> at my church. Um, so we're going to look at a passage here. First of all, I want to set it up. If you know your Bible, you know there's a man, his name is Saul, and he's persecuting the church. He's breathing threats against the church. But one day, God met him on the road. What road was that? The Damascus Road. And he said, hey, why are you persecuting me? And he's like, I'm not persecuting you. And Jesus goes, yes, you are. When you persecute my people, you're harming me. And so he smacks him with blindness and then he surrenders to the Lord, he is saved, his eyes are opened, and he's baptized. That's a great order, by the way. Some of you get that order out of place, I'm just saying. Saved, <laughs> eyes are opened, baptized. So he gets saved, he's baptized. And then what we find is Acts 13, which is really the very beginning and the start of his ministry. You could call it a new chapter. And so for you today, I want to press into those of you, half of you, hundreds of you, that may be entering a new chapter, and you don't even know it. Acts 13, it says this. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So if you have a pen, you can underline some of those names. There's a man named Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menean, and Saul. 
While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You could call this a small group. Just five men worshiping together. Some of you wives, you know how exciting it is to see your husband worshiping. You know how excited it is to see your husband around some good men. Here are five men. They're in a circle. They're praying. They're talking. They're discussing. And God says, I'm sending two of you on mission. It's time to send two of you on mission. I'm going to show a picture up on the screen real quick, and this is of the coastline of Israel. And so Dan mentioned something to me. He was here too. He's now one of the pastors in our church. He said, this is an interesting thing about Saul's life. And I didn't believe it. I had to look it up myself to make sure. He goes, did you know that Saul, after he was saved on the Damascus Road, did nothing really noticeable in the Bible for 14 years? You see, this is what Saul's ministry looked like. He served the church in Jerusalem, then he would go to the church in Antioch, then he served the church in Jerusalem, then back in the church of Antioch, and he just served within the church. He just served within the local church. He just did some mundane tasks. But then there was a day where God said, it's time for you to go on a missionary journey. And it took 14 years for that to happen, 14 years of boot camp, 14 years of training, 14 years of hard knocks, and then the Lord sent him on a mission. Some of you are wandering today. Your marriage is wandering. Your ministry is wandering. Your walk with the Lord is wandering. Some of you are faithful, and you've been doing the same thing for many, many years, and the Lord may be stretching you. There's new visitors at church. The church is growing. We're going to press forward till every knee bows. Amen. We're going to press forward. And some of you are going to be called up into new areas of ministry because you've been in this season. It's 10 years. It's five years. It's seven years for Paul, 14 years. And then it is time to go on mission. It's time to go on mission. So this is what we see from a season of boot camp forward. Number one, he is deployed. Paul is in a season of boot camp, but now it is time to be deployed. I never served in the military, and I never was in boot camp. But when I was 10, I checked out a book from the library on the Boy Scouts. So I'm an expert on everything I'm getting ready to talk about because I read it. And when I was a kid, I read a book on the Boy Scouts and I learned how to make an A-framed fire. I learned how to um, help old ladies cross the road, which, by the way, doesn't happen very often. Have you noticed? You would think it happens all the time. And then if you get caught on fire, how to stop that, you can stop, drop, and roll, right? Which, by the way, also does not happen very often. Very rarely. I assumed I would catch on fire many times in my life. <laughs> Hasn't happened once. As a 10-year-old, I read a book on the Boy Scouts. And I'm like, man, sometimes I'll catch on fire. I better figure this out. There's old ladies that need help all over the place. I need, I need this. And I read it, and I remember being intrigued by it, and I was soaking it in. The info about the worst-case scenarios, the training for the future. Listen, some of you, you went to college, and you were trained on how to figure things out, and you did on-the-job training, and you did an apprenticeship, and maybe you served in the military, and you trained, and you learned, and you analyzed, and you prepared, and you hewned in some skills. Here's Paul. He's hewned in some skills for 14 years. We see him doing some really good things, like worshiping with brothers in Christ, and then the Lord is sending him out to be deployed. Do you know that many of you will be deployed? There'll be a soul care pastor that says, hey, will you join me 
in the counseling room, your friend needs help. There'll be a youth pastor that says, hey, we need another youth leader. The youth group needs help. There's seventh graders everywhere, just all over the place. We need you. There'll be a D group leader. There'll be a small group leader that says, hey, will you apprentice with me? Will you help me lead this person to Christ? You'll have a coworker that says, can you help me study the Bible? You know the Bible. My life's a mess. Some of you will be deployed. Coming off a season of mundane, coming off of a season of faithfulness, we see that Paul is sent. And like Paul, we are not called to isolate. We are called to infiltrate our world because they need Jesus. Are you ready to be deployed? Will you deploy if the Lord calls you to deploy? One of the things I wrestle with with opportunities and maybe you've thought the same as I wonder to myself sometimes, is this an opportunity? Is this an open door? Or is this God's will for my life? Raise your hand if you've been there. Like, I sometimes don't know if it's just like an idea or if it's God's plan, right? Have you wrestled with that? What I want to do is share with you three things that we see from this text today, three things that will help you decipher, is this an open door or is this God kicking the door open for me? Here's a good question. Number one, have I spent time praying and fasting about this? Have I spent time praying and fasting about this? This is what's awesome about this group of men. They're praying and fasting. I know this sounds simple, but that's a really big deal. You see, some of you men, you're like, should I merge the company? Should I hire this employee? Should I marry this woman? Should we send kids to this school or this school or homeschool? And you're wrestling through things. Here's a great idea. Pray about it. Pray about it. Step one, here are some men. They're praying and fasting. They're in a place of dependence upon God. God, I don't know what to do. Will you lead us? Here's a second question you can ask. Is this an opportunity or is this God's will? Number two, what does God's word say? Paul had to go because God said to go. Now, God audibly does not speak to us on the same level usually like he would have in the New Testament. And so instead what he's given to us is a book of his words for us to guide us and lead us. And so sometimes this is what it looks like for me. Should I move? Should I do this thing? And then I start reading my Bible and I'm like, wow, it's like God just spoke to me through his word. Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. God spoke to me through his word. That's supernatural. That's from the Lord. Wow. What does God's word say about this? Should I do this or not? Because here's the truth. Sometimes God's word says to not do things. You can go to Meyer today and pull up into the parking lot and go, man, look at that truck. I like that truck. And the guy left it running and he walked into the store. Wow. Two open doors in a row. <laughs> and then you turn the key to your car and then it doesn't start. The Lord has provided an F-150 for my life. Wow, thank you, Jesus. All of you know that's just because the door swung open doesn't mean you should do that. Why? Because the Bible says don't steal someone's F-150. It's in there somewhere. <laughs> I've read it before. Wow, man, this person paid me five grand. Now, it's cash. It's kind of under the table, and I don't know if I should claim it on my taxes, but I'm on Facebook Marketplace. What do you know? This boat is five grand. Wow, what an opportunity. Well, what does the Bible say about that? Should you, should, should you pay your taxes? Man, my, my marriage is kind of tanking. My wife just doesn't seem to have any affections for me anymore. But this woman, she's, she's showing affection towards me. My husband, he's a deadbeat. 
He doesn't even care about my feelings. Oh, my old boyfriend, he DM'd me. He cares about my feelings. Maybe this is an opportunity. Maybe I should walk through this door. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? What does God's word say? Number three, not just an opportunity. Is this God's plan? Number three, what do my brothers and sisters say? What do my brothers and sisters say? Here's what's awesome about the verse we just read, verse one. You have Barnabas. Who's Barnabas? Well, chapters before, he donated acres to the church. He donated land so they could sell it to have money. So he's a wealthy man that gave up hunting property for the Lord. Then you've got Simeon, who's called what? Niger. Many people believe this is the Simeon that carried the cross of Jesus Christ. He's an African man. So you have a wealthy man, and you have a brown-skinned man. And then you got Lucius and Menean who's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. So he is a high school friend. He's a servant that became an ally of the very man that beheaded John the Baptist. So he's had some dark past. And then you got Saul. This is an eclectic circle of men in his, his community. Hey, some of you, you lean away from community because everyone's not like you. Well, I'm 27, and my wife's 27. And we have two kids, and they're three and they're four. And you put me in a small group, and they have middle schoolers. That doesn't fit our style. And that would, they're old. <laughs> that couple's 42. <laughs> and so can you get me in a group with people that are 27 or 28 or 26 will work? Hey, do you, do you lean into relationships with men that are older than you? Women that are older than you? Men and women that are younger than you, older in the faith than you, younger in the faith than you. You see, here's the truth. Sometimes we just want head bobbers in our life, people that are just like us, that will nod their head when we say something. We need people that will take God's word, that are mature than us, speaking into our life. I have, the, I have good friends. I have good friends. I have some pastors that are 10 years ahead of me. I have some pastors that are just starting into ministry. I have people in my church that are old that love on me, and it has made my life sweeter the last two or three years. Do you have good friends? See, because a good friend says, no, you probably shouldn't do that. No, that's just an open door. God's word says this. What do you think about this? Let's pray about this. Proverbs eleven fourteen: where there's no guidance, people fall. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise will become wise. But you want to be a fool? Then hang out with fools. Not head bobbers. Not head bobbers. We need people that'll, that'll align us. We got to go because if I don't preach faster, I won't have time to use the bathroom. Verse 4. <laughs> it's a real thing. Verse 4. So being set out by the Holy Spirit, God says, go, Paul. God says, go, Barnabas. So now they're sent out by the Holy Spirit, not just a gut feeling, but the Lord has told them. They went down to Cecilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Can you go back to the picture of that map real quick for me? So here are the men. They're sent to go somewhere. Where? Cyprus, an island. Why? Because people are lost and going to hell there. They need to hear the good news of Jesus. And so they got on a boat because God told them to, and then they went, and then they started preaching in the temple. Verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, 
a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Will you circle that name? That means the son of Jesus. Verse 7. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. Would you circle that word, intelligence? So they get to a place where there's two men. One's a magic man and one's an intelligent man. The, Bi- the ESV Bible uses the word intelligent two times. Once in Exodus, where a man was empowered by God to be super smart and a designer because he had to HGTV build a church building for the Lord. So God made him super intelligent. And then this man. So if God says two people in the Bible are intelligent, one, because God made him intelligent, and two, just because he was, this dude's smart. This dude's smart. There's a magic man and an intelligent man, and Paul and Barnabas are right in front of them. Here we go. Verse 7. He was with the proconsul Sergius, who summoned Barnabas and Saul. And why? Because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Almaeus the magician, for this is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. This is what it's looked like in my life over and over and over again. God sends me to do something. And then number two, deception, deception. There's a magic man going, don't listen to these gospel preachers. Don't listen to the things that they have to say. Hey, what does your church background look like? Some of you, if you're honest, you would say you came from a cult or you came from a situation that was toxic. Like you were in the church, but it was all full of hypocrites. Maybe you would say you were a hypocrite. Do you come from a background of deception? Has that derailed you? And I've met the husband and the wife who would say their spouse deceived them their whole life. This is what it looks like. New ministry. All right, now it's time for deception. This is when it gets hard. But God's mission's always hard. And we're called to not isolate but infiltrate the world. And so here's what we see in the Bible. This is what we see in America today. Deceivers. Deception. And so if you're newer in your faith, if you've just given your life to Jesus, if you're one of the dozens that got baptized, praise God. Praise the Lord. There's baby Christians in this church. If you're some of those that got baptized, be careful. YouTube wants to deceive you. TikTok wants to deceive you. Some Christian at your work may deceive you. Maybe even within your good church, there is someone here to deceive you. Don't forget, Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them was Judas. Someone wearing a vertical shirt may deceive you. Careful, careful. New days, new chapters. After the deployment, we're immediately confronted with a deceiver. Okay, let's press on. It gets way worse, by the way. Here we go, verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he looked intently at that magic man and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you are full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? The gospel is this clear and you're trying to jack it up. The gospel is this straight and you're trying to make it crooked. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord's on you. You will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went away seeking people to lead him by the hand. Saul had been blind. Now he can make people blind. How awesome is that? Here's a man 
trying to trip up someone who's hungry for the gospel. And he goes, it's time for you to be blind. Number three, this is what we see on the mission. A deployment deception. Number three, demons. Demons. We live in a world of demonic warfare. Do you see it? It's in our world. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful, because the devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, especially if you're a newer believer. Be careful. Are you a weaker, immature believer? Have you been stagnant for a decade? Be careful. Satan wants to devour you. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Know this, that that kind of suffering is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, around the whole world. The brothers and sisters in Indiana can say it. Your brothers and sisters in Fremont can say it. Those in Traverse City can say it. Redemption Church in Granville can say it. The churches around the globe are experiencing it, this demonic, this spiritual warfare. We're seeing these satanic things happening in the world right now. I mean, what Hamas is doing is of the vilest wickedness. The, 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 the war, and I get we can't play referees around all of it. It is evil. It is demonic. The Bible says it will be existing around the world. And so what are we to do? Open our eyes. Be watchful. And verse 10 says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory, will restore. He can, will confirm. He will strengthen and establish you. You see, here's where we land sometimes with spiritual things demonic things, we land in one of two extremes, where we isolate from it and ignore it, or we are way too hyper-spiritual about it. I mean, we pretend it never happens, or we just think that that's of the Bible times, and we won't experience it in our time, and we'll just call it some other mental disorder and not call it what it really is, or we call everything demonic, like a kid's rolling around on the floor at the store, and we're like, son of the devil, you're a homeschool mama, homeschool mama, you got kids, son of the devil, daughter of the devil, son of the devil. And everything is demonic. And you look at everything and you're like, that troll doll's demonic and Paw Patrol's demonic. It's Paw Patrol for crying out loud. Like we can be hyper-spiritual and everything's demons and everything's demonic and we can be too extreme, but we can also be this extreme. And this is where we tend to land. Most of us tend to land here where we just kind of believe it's not for our time. No, there are demonic Forces, we are to be ready for it. We've experienced at our church in the last two weeks. We had baptisms two weeks ago. And there's a woman that came up and she's like, I just cannot be baptized. I am covered with darkness. And so we were praying with her and she was just weeping and she did not want attention. She's quietly sitting with three women and they're just praying that the darkness would be removed so she can get baptized. And she was baptized. It was awesome. She gave her life to Christ. I've seen it in this room. I've seen it in this church. There are demonic forces at play. And so we're told in scriptures that it will only increase in the latter days. Do you believe it? Because here's the thing. If there's a new chapter for you, be prepared. Satan will go after you. He'll go after your kids. He'll go after your ministry. Be prepared. And what should you do? Well, the Bible says this. If you face it, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. God makes it that simple. And so here's Paul confronted with a magic man that he's calling a son of the devil. He's calling out the spiritual battle in front of him. He submitted to God and did the mission work. He resisted the enemy, and that enemy has no power. That's the math. That's the play that God gives us. 
many of you will have a new day. I mean, you'll be one month in, and you're hosting couples to your house to learn the Bible together, but you and your wife hate each other because she said to sweep the kitchen, but she didn't ask politely enough. I didn't want to sweep the kitchen. You should have did it. You were home all day. What did you say? Nothing. <laughs> and the two of you are like this. Guess what? Good things are going to happen. Someone's about ready to cry in your living room and talk about how closer they're getting to Jesus. And you and your wife, there's a spiritual battle there. There's a demonic play there. Lord, would you help me? Would you guard me? Would you protect my kids? Would you protect this new phase of ministry? Submit to God. Do what he calls you to. Resist the devil because he's a snake. He doesn't fight long. He leaves. He does not fight long. And here's the second battlefield, and it's of your mind. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching towards your new ministry in the future. You don't even know it's coming yet. Some of you, you got the call last week, and you're like, the pastor's locked and loaded. He knows. But the youth pastor just asked me to host something at my house, and I said, I don't know. I got to think about it. And now I'm convicted. Here's the second one. Number two, my mind. 2 Corinthians 10 says this, The weapon of our warfare, it's not of the flesh, but we have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Anything that confronts God is not of God, it's of the devil. And so we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because this is how you fail in ministry. This is how you get off the mission. If your mind gets off mission, you are off mission. Your body follows your mind. Your mind controls things. We're in God's image, right? There's a trinity here. I have a body, I have a mind, and I have a soul. That's that piece that says, I want to live forever. God made that piece in you, that spiritual piece. And just like God, who's made in three images, the three of you are in a bundle. You're a package deal. But if your mind's gone, you're all gone. If your mind's distracted, your marriage is distracted. If your mind's distracted, your money's distracted. If your mind's distracted, your parenting's distracted. If your mind's distracted, your ministry is distracted. The serving that you do, the praying that you do, the scripture reading that you do, the attendance at church, the new areas of service, the things that the Lord calls you to do, the places he calls you to go. If your mind's gone, you're gone because you follow your thoughts. And so God says in order to win, in order to destroy the enemy, you must guard your mind. And so I want to I speak quickly about two areas where quickly we can be distracted and derailed from doing the things that God has called us to do. Here's one of the areas, and I've seen it a lot in the church in the last couple of years, living in the land of I have to figure it out or conspiracies. So at our church over the last couple of years, I've just been sent many YouTube videos and it's like, hey, this secret thing's happened over here, and we've got to figure it out because we're Christians, and so we got to deep dive and psychoanalyze. And John F. Kennedy was not shot, abducted by aliens. He was. By the way, I don't know about aliens, but I've seen some TikTok videos. I'm a little concerned. I'm a little concerned. I'm with you. I mean, did we really land on the moon, Eric? Where did COVID come from? What is happening within the church? Did you hear this pastor? And it's just like conspiracy, and we've got to figure it out, and we've got to run every rabbit trail. Here's the truth. I'm not smart enough to figure out every conspiracy. I don't know if Elvis is still alive. I think he's dead. 
think he's dead. I don't know. But this is what I know. I need to be a dad that loves his kids. I need to be a husband that loves his wife passionately. I need to read my Bible consistently. And I need to love on people like Jesus loved on people. That's all I got. And I can't figure out every conspiracy and deep dive. And some of you, you can get tripped up. God wants you to do something, but you live in the land of 17 YouTube videos. And you just keep looking at them and you're watching them and you're trying to decipher and you're trying to figure things out and you think some churches are bad and some churches are good and you're just like playing all the math in your head. There's no yarn long enough to help you connect all the dots in your living room. It's not going to happen. And if the enemy distracts you and derails you and gets you fearful, then you will be fearful. You will be derailed. Here's another area where we can be distracted, not only with trying to figure it all out, but trying to justify it all out. I mean, our world is full of problems. Something that we're seeing with young people in America right now is this passion and this desire that they have to justify the wrong, to make some wrong things right. There will always be some murder to study. There will always be some evil. There will always be some country not doing things right. There will always be some marriage that spirals out of your control. There will always be a brother and sister in Christ that said they love Jesus, but then they run away from Jesus. And if you're consumed by the weight of that, you won't move forward in ministry. There are things beyond our control. We can't control it all. We can't carry it all. We can't decipher it all. And Satan says, live in the land of defeat, live in the land of conspiracy, live in the land of trying to figure out everything, live in the land of holding the salvation of your kids. You carry all the weight. And if they don't get saved, it's on you. Live defeated, live discouraged. That's what Satan wants from you. God says, guard your mind. Guard your mind. Just do the things I've called you to do. Submit to me. Resist the devil. Eventually, he flees. Philippians 4 is on the screen, and it says this. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Here's a magic man. Here's a man that's hungry for the gospel. He's intelligent. He's trying to figure things out. And there's a magic man. And this guy's got tricks up his sleeves and all kinds of quirky things to say. And, and Paul says, that's demonic. Get behind us. You are blind. We live in the land of magic tricks and things to decipher and celebrities to listen to and all these videos and things to soak in. God says, think about what is good. Control control your mind. Eric, the mission is hard. The mission's not easy. What do you mean I might be confronted with demons and distractions and all of that? Well, we're not called to get engaged in a war that's simple. We're called to engage in a war that's hard. And there's a reason why we're warned of all these things, because there's, there's fruit. There's fruit. Would you look at me now at one more verse that says this in verse 12? So the magic man is blind. Paul's been sent to an island. He has to preach the gospel. Why? Because of verse 12. Look at it. Then the proconsul believed. When he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teachings of the Lord. 
he believed, and he was astonished at the teachings of the Lord. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this. Jesus Christ, he loved the world so much that he came to this island called Earth, and he pushed through the fog. He pushed through the demonic warfare. He pushed through the deceivers. He pushed through religion over relationship. Why? Because you were worth it. Because you were worth it. And so he went through the hardships of earth. He went through the trials of earth. He lived a life that you and I could not live because you were worth it. There's a man on an island, and it was worth it. And Paul was confronting, confronting, moving forward to give the gospel to this man. And so this is what we do. Do you have the gospel? Have you received it? Some of you are intelligent, and you're apologetical, and before you came to Christ, you read it all. And you deciphered it all. And then you looked at the websites. And then you clicked all the things. And you're like, but is it true and is it not true? And you were just like trying to figure it all out. The Lord loves you too. You're intelligent. The Lord loves you. He pressed forward for you for you to be saved. And so what we have, if we have this gospel, is we push through the mud. We push through the fog. We push through the hard days. We're not shaken by demonic things. We're in a weird way kind of emboldened by it. Because it's, this book's actually true. It's not a bunch of Sunday school stories. I mean, I'm seeing it unfold in 2023. And we push through. Why? Because there's more lost people. There's more lost people. More people need Jesus. Here's the big idea today. I'm worth it to the Lord, so the lost must be worth it to me. You were worth it to the Lord. I was worth it to the Lord. There was a small handful of people that started a church and they had no idea that there would be an Eric and a Jenny Klingle landing there. And our marriage was terrible. And my walk with the Lord was not what it should be. And I landed in a church on the highway at International Aid, and we started to worship. We worshiped seven, eight weeks in a row. And the Lord revived me. Why? Because some men and women raised some money. They prayed over chairs that I would sit in. And they prayed that God would move in the lives of lost people and that dead saints would be awakened. There were men and women that gathered. They swept the floor. They painted the walls. They prayed. They printed the materials. They made the outlines. They greeted at the doors. They did all those things because they loved me, because they loved my family. And I'm, I'm greatly benefited because of that. Some of you could say the same thing. Someone loved me. My grandpa gave me the gospel. This person in my church read me from the Bible and it has changed my life. And so we take that gospel love, that gospel mission that came down from Jesus and that's now extended into the church body, we now take it and we extend it ourselves. Because there's more people that need Jesus and until every knee bows, we have a mission. We move forward. And this is our heritage. Our church name is Harvest. Why? Because the fields are white and ready for harvest. There's lost people all over the place that are wandering. They have enough common sense to say, the sex gods aren't working for me anymore. I need something else. And so because they are tender and they're ready and they're longing for hope, we go. We go when God says go. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you for the legacy of this church. I walk in and I almost just want to weep. I know what you've done in my life. I know what you've done in my friend's life. I know what you've done in my family's life. I know my children that were saved in this place. 
And God, I'm just so thankful for the ministry of this church. God, you called some men and women to go. They responded. Praise the Lord for that. God, I believe you will call more in this room. Some to church plant one day. Some to lead new ministry one day. Some to study the Bible so they're equipped for the apologist at their work. Some to work on their marriage for the first time. Some to fight for purity. Some to fight for unity. Some to raise kids to glorify Jesus. God, you're going to call us. God, would you help us to be prepared? Not easily derailed because of one hard day and two hard conversations and one Christian that disappointed us. God, would you help us to guard our minds, to be resilient? There are more lost that need Jesus till every knee bows. Would you send us, God? To every corner of this community, we want to see reviving in this state. The pastors have prayed. We are longing for the day where more people come to Christ. God, would you help us? And God, if you call us, would you give us the courage to go? All of this, God, we do not in our efforts, but because Jesus has gone before us. He sent the, He already walked the course. He's already walked the path. So God, we follow in his steps. We thank you for his sacrifice. God, would you help us to sacrifice too? In the name of Jesus, we now worship.